Hello, <coughs> so nice to see so many beautiful faces. Such an honor to be in your presence. Thank you so much for coming to listening to listen to my boring talk. <laughs> I'll try my best to make it interesting, okay? <laughs> so let us first dedicate, okay? So dedication prayers, uh, motivation prayers. Sangye cheda sangye chenam la changju bardo dani gyasu ji dagi jinso gibe sonam gi dola penje sangye jubaraj sangye cheda sangye chenam la changju bardo dani gyasu ji dagi jinso gibe sonam gi dola penje sangye jubaraj Sangye Chedan Sangye Chenam La Changju Pardo Dani Gyapsu Chedagi Jinsu Gibe Sonam Gi Drola Penje Sangye Drubara Okay, so they wanted me to talk about one big love somehow, <laughs> but um, it's very complex to talk about love, so I'm not really gonna touch that base of love, but I can touch around it because it's love is a word very simple word that cannot really cover what the meaning of love really is you know so it's um, but I can introduce to you a little bit the concept of one big love so basically it's a mixture between Lama Yeshe's big love and Bob Marley's one love <laughs> so it's a, it's a fusion that's the idea and Bob Marley's one love is like one love the same love the same unconditional love between the mother and her children you know that kind of love Say one love. It's a universal love. That's what one love means, right? It's a, the same love. And then big love, of course, is universal uh, love. You know, huge love. So the mixture I just made one big love. Just wanted to make a point because it's true. Bob Marley's songs, many of them, they talk about Buddhism, right? I mean, about Dharma. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free your minds. That's Bob Marley's words. But they they're the same. They go in hand by hand to with the Buddhism. So anyway, so just wanted to let you know about one big love. Um I'm not I don't know really what I should be talking about today, so I wanted to do more of a workshop. So yeah, so just think about maybe some subjects, a subject that you would like me to talk about or some questions. You know, just feel free to just ask so that I can have an idea of what you want me to talk about. Because there's so many things, so many subjects, it's very difficult for me to really pinpoint what you want, or what you need, or what I can share that you're interested in. So, it's okay. So, yeah. You want to start? Okay. Or your life so we're getting personal so fast, huh? <laughs> Straight to the point. <laughs> I like it. I like it. good style. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. So I okay. So yeah, I grew up in a monastery. Okay. So I was um, in India already when I was 14, 15 months. I was already in India, going through the tests of whether I was the reincarnation or not. 
But um, yeah, so I started study, official studies in the monastery when I was five. So I went to Copan, then I went to Switzerland to Rabdan Chilling. And then when I turned six, I went straight to Serra, to the south of India. It's, it's a big monastery, about 7,000 Tibetan monks living there and studying. So yeah, I mean, I started studying at a very young age and I studied Buddhist philosophy a lot. And uh, it, that didn't, I mean, it didn't really make much sense to me at that time. I was just being fed, you know, and I was just eating and grazing. But uh, <laughs> it only started to make sense when I left the monastery. You know, so when I, when I was in the monastery, it was a beautiful concept, very nice, but it didn't make sense. So I didn't really understand what it, you know, samsara, okay, what's samsara? You know, I mean, when you're a kid, you don't really think about these concepts, you know, like, oh, grown-ups suffer so much mentally. You're like, why do they do that? What's up with grown-ups? Why is it, why are they so worried and this and that, you know, like, so when I was a kid, I did, uh, didn't really matter. I just studied, like, intellectually, concepts, labels, you know, like that, ideas, interpretations, information. But only until I left the monastery and I was actually, I had no, no choice but to adapt. Then, in order to adapt, Dharma and the philosophy really helped me. You know, because without that, I think I would have suffered a lot and I would have been very lost. So that is uh, my experience. You know, While I was studying it, it didn't make much sense. It was a very beautiful concept. But so I think it's both sides. You know, It's not only the studies that count. It's also the way you put it in practice. It's a lifestyle. It's an attitude. Okay, it's not just a belief, you know, or a habit. Oh, you do a couple of prayers every day, you just sit down, close your eyes and act like you're meditating, but actually you're thinking about tomorrow and about yesterday. <laughs> and uh, so it's very good, you know, to, to receive teachings, to read, to do prostrations, water balls, you know, all of these aspects are complementary to the warm heart. You know, but it doesn't mean that you can just bypass so one of the issues that I have, my main one of my concerns is that many times we, we just bypass, you know, we, we, we don't want to really confront ourselves so much. We don't want to recognize our mistakes or our issues or maybe it's too painful to recognize, too painful to go back and to, to confront our fears or our, you know, our issues. So what do we do? We take refuge in something. So we just bypass those, that, those issues completely. And we can take refuge in, in many different aspects of life, you know. It can be alcohol, it can be, you know, financial, you know, you know, search, or finance. It can be a spiritual kind of, you know, taking refuge in spirituality or taking refuge in your partner or taking refuge in, the, in a idealization of a happy life, which can never happen because basically you're setting yourself up for disappointment. <laughs> Because you're projecting, you're creating a reality that doesn't exist, and you're idealizing that. You know, so when you expect something, you know, expect to be disappointed. Um, <clears throat> so you really have to be able to confront yourself before you take refuge in anything. You know, because otherwise you're just bypassing it, and then you can be practicing Dharma or whatever it is that you take refuge in for 30 years, and you'll be not just as lost, but even more lost. Maybe, you know, you suddenly you're like, oh, you know, what, what's up? Why am I not moving on from this issue that I have, you know? And that's the issue that you people don't 
look at themselves, you know. It's much easier to look at others and judge others and criticize others, but to criticize ourselves, to look at ourselves, to judge ourselves, that is much more difficult. So actually judging and criticizing others is a way to avoid judging and criticizing ourselves. There's a saying that I really enjoy. It's not the case always, but so, is this is my idealization of friendship. It's a real friend criticizes you in your face and talks really good about you behind your back. <laughs> right? So that's a real friend. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't always happen that way, but <laughs> I try to be a friend. I try. Even though many, many people, they end up hating me. They're like, <laughs> they don't like to hear those things, you know. But sometimes it's, it's important, you know, because the only people that can really help you are your friends. You know, how are you supposed to see these aspects of yourselves if there's nobody there to show them to you, you know? That's why I think sometimes it's, it's much more difficult to have a householder life than to be meditating in a cave alone. For me, you advance much faster as a householder if you put in practice Dharma as a householder than if you're sitting in a cave for 20 years meditating. You know, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, I have a lot of patience. Hey, wait till you're put in the middle of a family. <laughs> you have to take care of your, your children and the, and the mother and da 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 and, and your, the, your mother and the mother of the, of the, of the mother of this. <laughs> You know, then it's very easy to sit in a cave. You know, maybe you need patience with the listening to the drip of the water or the humidity, or, or you may your bones are cracking or hurt, your back is hurting. So for that you need patience, but it's a different type of patience, right? But ultimately, the patience is with yourself. You have to have patience with yourself. It's not like it's very easy to blame others. Oh, I lost patience to such and such person. They said this, they did that. But really, you lost patience with yourself. You know, so that is something you have to take. You have to take responsibility for your own life. You know, it's very easy to blame others. Very easy. Just so that you don't have to take responsibility. But we are responsible. Some people, they say, oh, it's destiny. You know, everything has already been programmed. Everything has already been designed. You know, so there's, I have no choice. That's very easy to say. That's very cowardly. You know, you, oh, you're taking off responsibility from yourself. And so we are responsible of our karma. We are responsible, you know. And, uh, and what really belongs to us? People, they say, oh, this is my car, this is my house, this, these are my clothes, this is my body. Right? But if it were really yours, nobody could steal it from you. Nobody could take it away from you. You know, but, oh, my car, my car, suddenly next day you go out, there's no more car. Oh, it's gone. Oh, what happened to my car? <laughs> Where is my car? Well, somebody else is using it now. <laughs> Now it's their car. <laughs> so what happened to my car? <laughs> if it was your car, how can they steal it from you, right? It must be borrowed somehow, just like this body. I mean, this body is originally stardust, you know? It was many, most of this body was created in a star. And it will become worm food eventually. So it's just a pr process. It's a process. It's a transformation process. So no need to get so attached to things because the attachment comes from fear of losing something. And most of the times what we fear of losing is not even ours. It's just a grasping concept. Because we, want, we are not living the moment, we're not present. So as long as you're not here and you're not present and you're not living the moment, you're going to be unsatisfied. That's going to create suffering. As long as your motivation is egoist and selfish and self-centered, result will be suffering. 
And that is a universal law. It's not just Buddhism that tells you about it or Dharma. So, <clears throat> yeah, you have to be realistic. Obviously, not pessimistic, but realistic. Not pessimist, but realistic, you know? So, prepare for the worst, but expect the best, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, more subjects? Yes, one, two, okay. Awesome, this is good, I like this. this uh, people are really interacting. Hi, thank you. thank you for coming. Thank you so much. I was hoping you could touch on um, Dharma in the 21st century, Dharma for okay. the modern age, however you want to put that. Um. Okay. Dharma in the 21st century. Mm. Hmm. Okay, so... I mean, okay, so if you think about it, the philosophy, the, the essence of Dharma, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter what you call it. It's a universal kind of law. I mean, if you check, all of us, we have, uh, we have the same, our blood is the same color, right? We all are constructed in a similar way. The base of our existence as a human inside this vehicle is very similar, okay? Then, of course, we branch out. We're different in every single aspect in that, after, since after the branching out. I mean, even the body is different, but the shape, the way it's, the, the base, let's say, is similar. So based on our, on our experience, on our childhood, on our culture, on our language, and all of these different aspects and circumstances of our life, we end up having one perspective or another, different types of perspectives. So this is normal, that everybody sees things in a different way. You can't expect people to understand you or see things as you see it, because everybody has a different perspective. But just the same way that our blood is the same color, and the base of who we are is similar. You know, there's a philosophy, like for example, gravity, you know, the law of gravity is physics, right? So it, it, it applies to everybody in the same way. So Dharma, or the philosophy of Buddhism, applies to everybody in the same way, because it's a universal law. <laughs> and even before the Buddha, before even the word Buddhism was created, you know, already that philosophy has always been there. That law that that applies to us, you know, so we can put that in practice. We can use that, you know. So the technique is the same for everybody, but the circumstances are different. But what we have to understand is that the circumstances don't make us. We make the circumstances, right? We are the ones who choose how to react to the circumstances, and that is a very important thing to be aware of like just just an example okay like if you if you have boiling water okay the boiling water is the circumstances you put a potato it will become soft you put an egg it will become hard but the circumstances are the same you know so it's you you choose you want to be an egg you want to be a potato you choose <laughs> it's up to you you can't blame the water for it <laughs> and that's also what dharma is telling you you know so basically one of the things that Dharma really helps us with or helped me with a lot is to learn how to adapt positively to any circumstances, no matter what. And that for me is a gift. It's a blessing. Because we tend to really overvalue negativity more than positiveness, right? So something bad happens, oh, it's a big deal. If ten good things happen, oh, it's normal. 
And then we just remember, oh, that person said this, or that, this happened, oh. But then all the good things, all the nice things that people are telling us, that we just completely forget about it. Why? Because we overvalue that negativity. But we have to just switch that. If we are able to switch that, then what's going to be present in our life? What's going to really take form in our life? Whatever we overvalue, whatever we value, whatever we give importance to, right? If you fear something, and you're projecting what you fear, then you're creating that reality. You're attracting what you fear, right? And we tend to do that a lot. We tend to get into this kind of mindset, this like <coughs> cycle of just going around and around and we create these habits, these neural pathways of you know, self-pity or self-importance or self-centeredness. And based on that self-centeredness, we suffer a lot. That's why it's really important to always start the day with the attitude of gratitude. Because that will help you to not be so self-centered. And that will create the cause for you to be happier automatically. Just because you'll be more aware of others. That helps you to have the platform of empathy. You know? So gratitude is a key essential kind of attitude in life that we have to practice every day. And that's one habit we want to have. Because we all want to be happy, right? It's just the way we pursue that aim or that objective is very different to the result that we're looking for. So basically, in other words, we want to be happy. We know that what we are doing is not going to make us happy, but we're still doing it. That's what Dharma is trying to tell you. You know, It's trying to help you understand the nature of our mind, to understand our potential, you know, and to help us adapt to the circumstances in a very positive way so that we can create the cause and the circumstances for others also to be able to adapt in a positive way. That's basically what Dharma is. Okay, it's not a concept, it's a philosophy, it's a lifestyle. Dharma by itself, the teachings, the statues, the water bowls, the, you know, all of these things by itself is like a bulb without electricity. You know, we are the electricity, we are the ones who give it that, you know, that energy, that, you know, that purpose. So it's not about just doing water bowls or prostrations, it's about doing that as a complementary factor to having a warm heart, to being compassionate and kind, loving kindness. His Holiness the Dalai Lama talks about it all the time. So that's important. And you have to be aware of that without spiritually bypassing. You understand? So you, you use the philosophy, Dharma, as a means to confront yourself. You use it as a tool to improve, not to avoid confronting yourself so that you can be ha ha he he hoo hoo for 20 years and then you're like uh oh I'm, I'm, I still got the same issues as I had 20 years ago now, that's not why Dharma was you know offered I mean Dharma has always been there it's just that they gave it a name they gave it a technique you know but the but the the, the strategy or the, the, the what do you call it the practice is universal okay and the warm heart, wherever you go, everybody can relate to a hug. Everybody can relate to the word mama. Everybody can relate to a smile, right? Everybody, anybody, in a, even the animals can relate to that. You know, so in that same kind of aspect, you know, it's universal. Everybody can relate because it works the same for everybody. 
if I try to be kind, I'm going to be a happier person. And that applies to everybody. Okay. So the circumstances are not so important. But the important part is how we choose to adapt to the circumstances. How we choose to perceive. It's all about perception. Really. If you choose to perceive something in such a way, that's how you're going to react to it. Your attitude, right, is going to be based on how you choose to perceive things. Your state of mind is going to be based on your attitude. Or your attitude is going to be based on your state of mind. And that is affected by your choice. It's a choice. You know, it's very easy to blame. Oh, no, this happened, that happened, this person said this, this, this. But in the end, what are you doing? You're just trying to avoid taking responsibility. So it's good to be aware of all these things, you know, and, uh, and start now, you know, to try to make an effort to improve. If you want to compare to somebody, compare it to yourself yesterday. If you want to compete with someone, compete with yourself yesterday. If you want to improve, improve yourself. You know, you can't change anybody. You can't even change yourself. I mean, you don't even know yourself, let alone how can, how can you judge yourself. You don't even know yourself. You don't know how you're going to react when certain things happen in your life, until they happen. And then when you react, you don't even know why you reacted that way. So if that just shows how little we know. We don't even know what's going on in our body. I mean, first of all, we have no idea. We have no control over what's going on in our body. Why are we so obsessed on controlling life in a sense putting everything in a box kind of like just because that's a way of feeling secure because we kind of like we live like we we're immortals basically <laughs> we live like we're immortal and our attitude is like oh i'm immortal all of you are immortal and that's it you know that's our attitude in life so i mean we can we cannot change ourselves but we can give ourselves space and we can create the intention for that change to occur. And through the example of that change, we can help others to change too. Correct? Would you agree on that? So anyway, so I think that's a little bit my point of view in uh, the modern Dharma. It's, uh, it's the same technique, but it's just that we tend to use it maybe in the wrong way. right? And that's happened throughout the ages with all, you know, like philosophies or religions, people have misinterpreted and misused it. But the essence is there and it's available. And if you're able to filter, you know, what really works for you, then it can be very helpful and it can be really meaningful in your life and also to the people that surround you. Because this first step of change is to be aware of your own bullshit. I'm sorry about my French. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. You cannot, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Spiritual bypassing is that, you know. You do not check yourself, you know, before you wreck yourself. <laughs> okay, so, but I think uh, it's very interesting, you know, because tradition is also mixing with the Western culture. So, very something very, effusion is starting to come out, which is very interesting. And I really, love to be part of that you know because i do i do come i am asian i have a tibetan point of view i am very traditional i grew up 
in Tibetan culture. My first language is Tibetan. Most of my life I was I spent in the monastery with Tibetans. So I I do have very traditional oriental kind of aspect to life. And then I spent another 15 years in the West living my own life. So I'm really happy to be a bridge of the West and the East. And I'm very happy to share what I have as much as I can. And uh, yeah, so I'm learning. And as I go learning, I, I will share that. But I don't know much. I just know a little bit. And uh, I learned little by little because I want to put in practice what I'm learning. I want to actually experience it before I share it. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. It's just an interpretation of the interpretation of the interpretation. And then it just becomes... You know, it's. I am not the person qualified to talk about those things. Right? I'm just a friend. I'm not a guru. I'm not a teacher. I'm not qualified at all. Actually, I really don't know what I'm doing sitting here. But I'm. I'm happy to try my best to share my experiences if it can help you have a better life. It has definitely helped me. Dharma has definitely helped me a lot, and not just Dharma by itself. Because that goes complementary to the life that we have. You know, we have to be able to adapt the Dharma to our life. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it's not about, like, I, it happened to me, like, I went to the master, uh, what do you call it? Master program in, in Italy, in Lama Tsukaba Institute. It's a four or five year course. One of the questions I asked is, like, okay, so you're, you're studying the intellectual concept, but do you meditate? And the answer was, I will find a cave when I finish my studies eventually in order to meditate. So it's already, you know, it's like a far away thing. But already idealizing, oh, I'll have a cave once I know, you know. So already we're separating, we're not really, you know, we're kind of already putting things in the bowl, oh, you know, like. So it goes complementary, you know, like, I mean, if you think about it, we are all really good meditators. We're professional meditators. We spend nine months in the womb, <laughs> all of us, <laughs> meditating 24-7. <laughs> and then we spend around a third of our life sleeping, which is a kind of meditation. <laughs> so we are all expert meditators. You cannot deny that. <laughs> so you have no excuse. <laughs> but uh, every moment in our life can be a meditation. It's just about being aware, being, being conscious. You know, about our emotions. You know, it's many times we allow these destructive emotions just to come in. You know, we invite them as, I mean, they're uninvited guests. We allow them to take over. It's like a guest that comes at, at 3 a.m. in the morning in your house, starts banging the door. He's not even a family member. Even if it was a family member, you'd look at them and you're like, what are you doing here at this time? Do you know what time it is, right? If he's a stranger, then even more, right? I mean, if, even a family member, we're like, what are you doing here? Excuse me? It's 3 a.m. in the morning. Are you okay? Do you, like, is everything okay? We're concerned for the person, right? But still, we're like, we don't open the door completely. We're like, just like opening the door halfway, like suspiciously. So with a guest that we don't know, that's how we act. We don't open the door at 3 a.m. to a stranger and be like, oh, yes, please come in. Oh, would you like a piece of tea? You know, would you like some tea? Would you like some biscuits? The whole house is yours. You can do whatever you want. If you want to burn it down, you can do it. <laughs> we don't do that to a guest, but why do we allow that? Why do we do that to the destructive emotions that appear uninvited? Why do we offer them that emotion full power? 
to our body, to our mind. So that is a question we have to ask ourselves. Many times, just because uh, we think we're right, then we allow anger to take over, and then we, we just think, you know, we have the right to be angry and to shout, and spit is flying all over the place, and we're insulting, da, da, da. and then we are setting ourselves to feel really bad afterwards. At least if we have a conscience. <laughs> Otherwise, we go, oh, no, I was, I'm right, he's wrong, he has to say, apologize. I did the right thing. I put him in his place, or whatever, you know. <laughs> this idea of like, but that you are the one who's channeling that vibration. You are the one who's channeling that energy. Nobody else. When you talk, when you shout, when you talk bad, you are the one who channels that. That vibration, that energy stays in your body. We have a responsibility, you know. We have billions of cells and life forms that are part of our body. You know, and they are working 24-7 for us. They're at our service. You know, this body is working tirelessly for us to be able to use it properly, right? And the only time that we remember the body, oh, is when it's not working properly. <laughs> Otherwise, we don't think about, we don't, re you know, that's why it's gratitude is very important, starting with our body. Gratitude for the heart. The heart starts pumping two weeks after the fetus is you know, conceived, two weeks later. And since then, it never stops pumping the blood, the heart. How amazing, that is true love. That is love. That's why the heart represents love, you know? Because of its unconditional, you know, offering. Just like water. Water is love. You know, it's pure. It always maintains its pure form, no matter how polluted it gets. It can, always, it can always go back to its pure form. It will always give life, no matter what, unconditionally. And it will always adapt to whatever circumstances. You put it in a cup, it becomes a cup, right? That's what Bruce Lee says. Be water, my friend. <laughs> It's really true, actually. It's very true. So, yeah, that's what Dharma is telling us, you know. And if we actually practice Dharma properly, then we'll be able to adapt to any circumstance or society or culture or, you know, belief. So it doesn't matter the circumstances. You know, it's your choice. Who you want to be, how you want to be, how you want to react. Based on your choice of how you want to perceive things. That's what Dharma is telling us. We have that choice. I can perceive things as something really positive. Even though most people may be, oh, that's really negative. But you everything has a positive part. So if we observe that, if we focus on that, there's some negative aspect, we can use it as a means to learn and to improve. But don't take it personally. Don't absorb that, you know, because it's not really helpful. Somebody says some harsh words to you, don't take it personally. Be aware that that person is in conflict, that person is suffering, and that's how he reflects, he or she reflects, reflects that aspect. They're suffering, they're frustrated, they're unhappy, they're depressed. So the way they express that is through pain and anger. But if we take that energetic snowball and we throw it back, then all we're doing is just making it bigger, this, this negativity, toxicity. So how to neutralize that snowball so by recognizing, having that empathy towards that person, recognizing that they're suffering and giving them back love and understanding, recognition. Many people are only looking for recognition. Many people, all they want is for you to listen to them. That's it. Most of us don't know how to listen. One of the main aspects of communication is listening. Believe it or not, it's not talking, it's listening. Listening is an art. And I'm not saying listening to answer. 
I'm, li- I'm talking about listening to understand. There's two types of listening. <laughs> There's one type of listening, okay, and the other person didn't even finish and you're already interrupting them to answer whatever it is. That's not listening. That's just imposing your ego. So, yeah, listening, very important. So many people, many times, all they want is for you to listen to them, to recognize them. That's it. To, to show that, you, that you're making an effort to understand them. That's it. So that's why many, many people, maybe I'm upset, I'm unhappy, and then somebody's upset and they say some harsh words, and then, oh, that's a, already an excuse for me to throw all my shit on that person, for example, you know? Completely unacceptable. Especially when it's very familiar people, me, close friends, close family members. You know why? Because we know that they're going to forgive us. So we can say all kinds of things without any control, just let loose our emotions, because we know that tomorrow everything will be okay. It's not always the case, but many times like that. And in Spanish we have a saying, la confianza da asco, which means uh, trust is disgusting. <laughs> because it's true. Sometimes when, you, when, you, when you're very close to someone, you just have that trust where you just spill all your problems, all your shit on that person, you know, because there's that trust. So you know, so you you also have to be you know careful with that aspect. Like your 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 what do you call it? Couple, your um, pareja. How do you say your partner? You know, with your partner, many times that's what happens. You know, you get into a relationship. Maybe the first two three months are amazing, really respectful. You're trying your best to appear that you're really awesome, yeah. <laughs> right? So you're a different version. You're like a, a good version of yourself. Until you get used to the other person, and then suddenly you like you start getting lazy. You're like, oh, okay, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, oh, it doesn't matter if they start seeing my bad habits. You know, when I get nervous, I'm gonna start shouting. I'm gonna start, uh, you know, uh, raising my voice like that because of that trust. That's for me. It's very important. Whichever relationship, no matter what that you have with anybody, never pass that boundary. Always try to be humble. Always try to be patient. Always try to be grateful. Forgiving, understanding, you know, empathic. Those are the true values that we have. That those are the values that are really valuable. The, the interior values. That is the true gold. That is the true wealth. When you share it, it multiplies. Nobody can steal it from you. That's really yours. You get to keep it. When you die, you take it to the next life. You don't have to worry about somebody's going to steal it. On the contrary, when you share it, it multiplies. How amazing is that? Now that's a real wealth. That's the true values. You know? They talk about, oh no, the true values, materialistic values. Why? But that's just, it's just a concept. You know, we, we grasp towards that. Different types of grasping. There's attachment of, a formless attachment. Attachment to emotions, attachment to state of mind. You know, like let's say adrenaline or, or sometimes what drugs help make you feel or even like having being having a partner and what that the when that partner is present, the presence the feeling that the presence of your partner makes in you. We get attached to that. And we call it love. Oh I love you. You know, oh no, you're you're in love with the feeling that they make you feel. That's what you're in love with. It's not love, it's attachment. And that's why we end up suffering. Oh, love is so bad, make me suffer so much. It's not, it's attachment that makes you suffer. 
Love doesn't have that, you know? It's unconditional. It's universal. It's everywhere. You know, love is your body constantly working for you. Love is, you know, life that was created. You know, I mean, it's very complex to really pinpoint what love is. But we can have an idea, okay, um, what love is. But for me, I mean, love is everywhere. Love is everything. It's, uh, I mean, it's, yeah. Evolution is love, you know. Karma can be love in a way. I don't know. I don't want to create confusion because I'm confused myself too, you know. So <laughs> but it's very difficult to really put love in a box. And we love to put things in boxes because that way we feel secure. We feel that we are in control. But if we can't even control what's in our body. Why are we so obsessed in controlling life? You know, just flow with the river. There's no need to grab on a branch or on a rock and stay in one place. Life is changing. It's movement. That's what time is. Time is just a way to measure that change, that vibration. That's it. And somehow we are scared of change. But that's the whole life is that. It's about transformation. It's about change. So the best thing is just to go with the flow, to adapt, and really make the best of your journey. That's what Dharma is talking about, no matter what the circumstances. Okay, there was another question. Was it you? You? Okay, one, two, three. Okay. Yes. Please, um, you, you first. No, please. After you. Okay. Well, me? You choose. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Oh. Um, I think that um, you have a unique opportunity to um, teach or embody that, you know, um, merger of the East and the West, and which I appreciate. And I wondered what your needs are at this time in your life because um, you're still young and what we could do to help you. Well, I think <coughs> I think you have to the most important aspect is help ourselves before we can help anybody else because otherwise it's a useless help. Sorry to be so straightforward. For us, for me, I cannot help anyone if I don't work on myself first. I can't love anybody if I don't love myself. If I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of anybody. So how how can I take care of my son if I don't take care of myself, right? I mean, I, it's like on a plane. If you're about to crash, what do you do? You put on the life vest first. Then you put the life vest to your, to your kids, right? That's the rules. That's what they tell you every time you get on a plane. Why is that? Right? It's because you have to start with yourself. So for me, the best help you can do for me is to really put in practice the Dharma, you know, that His Holiness Dalai Lama talks about, that Lama Zopa talks about, that Lingri Muji talks about, that Song Muji talks about, all these amazing, you know, gurus, teachers that embody what Dharma is talking about, you know. So, basically to follow a lifestyle that not only is helping you to improve, but it's actually creating the cause and the circumstances to be an example for other people to also improve in their life. For me, that is the best help you can do. You know, that's how I see it. 
And um, I'm really grateful that, that I'm here, that I've been invited. It's, a, it's an honor. But uh, I don't really still follow very well what's happening. <laughs> I'm still searching. I'm still uh, trying to understand. I'm trying to know myself. And, uh, but, you know, meanwhile, I'm also trying my best to be of service. So thank you so much for your question. And I'm really happy to be here and to be able to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I have a question. So basically you receive an education in a monastery with a Buddhist ed education and then you receive a Western education and then you spend a lot of time in Asia as well in the West. So in your opinion, what does it mean to be a good person? Mm. What it means to be a good person? What, what does it mean to be a good person? Because okay, yeah. uh, the cultures have different emphasis on oh what yeah, values yeah. they, they definitely, want to... Definitely. So basically... A good person is a it, uh, so the, the label is okay. Good person is very easy to say, but how do you define a good person, right? So basically, how you would like to be treated, how you wouldn't want to be treated, that is where you s the starting point, right? I mean, of course, if you're a masochist, then it's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> You know, based on <laughs> but in general, that's the concept, you know, like, do I like to be spoken harshly? No. Why would I do that to somebody? Why would I speak to someone else harshly? Do I like to be treated with love and understanding and care? Yes. So that is how I would like to treat others. That's a starting point. But good and bad, I mean, that's how you, you relate to that concept, right? Starting from your own you know, experience. But uh, also there's another aspect which is, you know, like we like to tend to say, oh, the light and the dark, the good and the evil, you know, oh, you know, the angels and the, and the demons, blah, 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 like that. But actually, if you think about it, the demons are inside of us, the angels are inside of us. We are the ones who created. It's not outside, it's inside. <laughs> right? We are the ones who choose to evolve or to de-evolve. And that's, for me, that's that dualistic point of view of good and evil or whatever you want to call it, you know, black and white or whatever. It's about our attitude in life, whether we make the choice to improve or to, to, go f to move backwards, you know. So basically it's the habits. And we are creatures of habit. So if you choose to evolve, so you know, like to say, for example, like what you're saying, a good person, you know, so the more effort we try to be a good person, starting with ourselves, then we are evolving. You know, if we are mean, if we, are, we, we let the negative, destructive emotions to always take over and we have the self-pity and me, 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 self-centeredness and egoism. And we like, for example, you know, like we don't have that empathy f towards others and we do things in a very egoist way, then we are de-evolving because we are creating the cause for that habit. And because we're creatures of habit, the more we do something, the easier it is to repeat that. So from my perspective, it's a little bit like that. Okay, that's my point of view. It's good and evil, it's based on your attitude. Okay, many people say, oh, there are ghosts outside, oh, there's da-da-da-da. Don't whistle at night, you're, you're calling the ghosts. You know, it's like, okay, that's tradition, traditional concept. You know, but you're the ones who choose who to feed. 
you can feed the demons or you can feed the angels. It's up to you. The, all the ancient uh, wisdom, you know, American Indian wisdom, they put the example as the white wolf and the black wolf. And we have a black wolf, we have a white wolf, and we are the ones who choose which wolf to feed. You understand? And which wolf we choose to feed is the one that's going to prevail. That is the one who's going to take over in our life. Who's going to be the most present. So if you choose to, to feed the black wolf, then you're, you're choosing to, to go into these low frequency vibrations that are only going to create harm and are going to make life more difficult for you and the people surrounding you. If you choose to feed the white wolf, all the the true inner values, and you practice them, you, you really dedicate time, and you observe your mind, you check your mind, you know, you analyze the mechanism of your mind. Oh, I got angry. Okay, how? Why did I get angry? Oh, I'm so attached to this. Why? What is it that I'm attached to? Why am I grasping? You know, to actually start investigating. The more you investigate, everything will start falling apart. You know, that solidity that we give it, will start disappearing. You know, because the more you investigate, the more you observe, the more you realize that nothing exists from, in from its own side. Nothing is independent. Everything is interdependent. Everything exists based on the interdependence of everything else. That's what emptiness, the concept of emptiness, that is what it's talking about. So the more we observe, the less solid things start appear. And then we are able to be much more flexible. But you are, we are ultimately the ones who choose which direction we want to take. We want to evolve, we want to de-evolve. That's basically, at least from my perspective, it's like that. Then there's many other aspects. You can, you know, there's 100 million things you can come up with. But for me, that's the most important part. Start with yourself. And, you know, it's never too late, you know, but it's good to start now. Because we may act like immortals, but um, I think, you know, we have to be aware that uh, time is precious. We really have to use the time we have. The really, this rebirth as a human is precious. We really have to use it properly. And it's never too late, like I said, you know, we are all ancient. You know, age is not in the body, age is in the mind. My grandfather, he's 94 years old. By 8.30, every morning, he's in the bar having his coffee, his glass of water, and then he has a cognac and goes to work. So by 9, he's at work. He's 94. He's a super happy guy, always joking, always making jokes, you know, making everybody laugh. By 11 o'clock, he's back at the bar and he's having his glass of wine. <laughs> I'm not encouraging you to drink alcohol. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that it's not about the physical aspect. Youth is not a physical. I, I have friends who are 20 years old and their attitude is like they had 200 years. You know? And I have friends who are 90 and their attitude is like a 15 year old. That's something we have to be aware of. That's why perception is very important. You know? And that's why we are able to train our mind to learn how to perceive things in the right way. Then we can have much, we don't give so much importance to negativity, you know? We don't let, let that bring us down. It doesn't make us heavy. Doesn't, it's not a heavy thing that we have to carry around. You know, if, some, if we have a trauma from a past life, if something, somebody did something, something happened, we can't be carrying that. 
It's, we don't want it to be a, a weight on our back. We want it to be a lesson. So if we learn from it and we move forward, it becomes a lesson. And it stays like that. It's not a weight anymore. On the contrary, it's a factor that helps us evolve and learn and improve. And we can create the circumstances to help others also to you know, overcome those difficulties. So everything is an opportunity. If we're able to see it that way. Sometimes something happens in our life, we're like, oh, this is really bad. But maybe in the long run, we'll realize it's exactly what we needed in order to get out of our comfort zone. And if that hadn't happened, we'd still be stuck there maybe. And we'd be suffering much more. There's also a song by Mamar that says, you think you're in heaven, but you're actually in hell. Right? So that's also a very important aspect. You know, we have to be aware that we are in samsara and the reality of samsara is suffering is temporary and happiness or, you know, um, yeah, ha oh, what do you call it? Suffering and, what is it? Not pleasure. Suffering and? Happiness? It, would it be happiness? What's the opposite of suffering? Bliss? So it's it's temporary, basically. It's temporary. So why are we grasping so much? Why are we so attached? If we know it's temporary, we can just enjoy it while it's happening and really be present. Instead of grasping to the past and grasping to the future. We get a taste of something we like and we're already thinking about, oh, I want more. But instead of enjoying what we have right now. So all these aspects are just techniques that the Dharma talks about for us to have a better and happier life. But it's up to us to walk the talk. It's up to us to put it in practice. It's up to us, you know. Nobody else is going to walk the path for us. The Dharma is like a torch. It helps us to shine a light so that we know which way we, we choose to walk in. But we are the ones who walk. It's just helping us to choose the direction we want to go. And because everybody is different, we have to also see what works for us. Not everybody is going to relate to the same thing. Because we all come from different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, more questions? Oh, wow. Very nice. Um, so how wonderful uh, uh, that you're uh, with us, uh, especially in this year that we're celebrating the 600th and uh, the 600th remembrance of the Paranarva of Jason, uh, Lama Jason Kappa. Mm. Um, so uh, uh, my question is, I'm wondering whether there is in this point of your life, um, maybe some of the either writings or recorded uh, conversations or speeches of either uh, uh, Lama Yeshi, or maybe there's other of the Nalanda masters, um, their writings who have kind of spoken to you and been helpful to you um, that you might uh, recommend for some of others in the Sangha as well. Well, for me, what really teaches me is example. Mm -hmm. I can hear a hundred million interpretations. It's not really going to mean much to me, at least because of my background. Since I was... 14 months old, I've been bombarded with concepts and interpretations. So when I was younger, I said, oh, I'm Buddhist. I, this is, oh, I believe completely. I am Buddhist. I used to be very um, adamant about that, you know, very clear. Then I turned about 12, and then I was like, why am I Buddhist? 
Do I really understand Buddhism? How can I be Buddhist if I don't understand Buddhism? So I said, am I, am I an atheist? I said, no, I'm not an atheist because I do believe in the philosophy. So I decided to label myself as agnostic, scientific, spiritual. Um, so I don't see myself as a Buddhist, okay? But I do, I am learning about Buddhism constantly. And I think probably all my life I'll be learning. Even the day I'm dying, I'll still be learning about the process of death. So for me, it's a process. It's not something you can just grab and, oh, I am this, that's it. Because you are happening. You are being. It's a constant. So you can't just be like, oh, I am this, or I am that. No, because you already moved on. You can't be like, oh, I know everything. No, you don't know, because you are learning constantly. You know, we are being bombarded by information that we have to interpret and make sense of it in order to relate to that reality that surrounds us. But if we don't have memory, how can we relate to that? So based on memory, we are relating to all the information we're receiving. So that information that we're receiving, we're learning about that information. So if you think, oh, I know, then you're not wise. But if you say, I don't know, then you're wise because then you are moving with change. You're moving with life. And that is the process of life. So for me, basically, I mean, the philosophy is really good and I have a lot of faith in the philosophy and it has helped me a lot, the teachings. But what, what really counts for me is example. And I think His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Lama Sobha Rinpoche and my teacher, Genla, who I grew up with, are the shining example for me at least, you know, to know that Dharma is real. Because I mean, you, people, I can read many books and I can read many things and hear many stories like that, but if I don't have the example, how am I supposed to even know that that's real? And the Buddha also said, you know, at the time of the Buddha, he, when he teached, when he taught, he always used to say, you know, you have to put, you have to question what I say. All the teachings you have to question. You have to question, you have to doubt. Doubt is good. And the example he said is like a goldsmith checking whether it's real gold or not. That is the example he put. You have to be like a goldsmith checking whether it's gold or not with his teachings. A goldsmith, if you give him a piece of gold, oh, he's not going to take the gold and be like, oh, wow, this is precious metal. No. He'll take it and there will be a process of it testing that if it's real gold or not. So he'll burn it, he'll melt it, he'll scratch it, he'll do all these, this process. Once he's gone through that process, he'll be like, this is precious metal, this is real gold. And then he'll value it. And he'll be like, this is, you know, this is a real deal. But there's a process to reach that point. And, uh, and the Buddha and His Holiness, they always encourage this doubt, this questioning. Because that is the process of learning, of understanding. You can choose to, to you know, get on a bus, fall asleep and go from A to B. But then you, can't, you don't really know what that path was. You don't know how you got there. But you can choose to you know, not take the bus and actually walk the whole distance. And then you will really be able to help others to get there. Even maybe blindfolded, you can even do it. I don't know, if you walk it enough times. But what, what I'm trying to say is that it's about your own experience. Okay, you can read, you can listen, you can go to this, to that, da, da, da. But in the end, it's up to you to walk it. You know, people can carry you in a bus, in a helicopter. But, and you'll get somewhere, but you will not really know the process. You will not really know what that place is. 
because you haven't gone through the process of the self-experience, self-practice. So like in, in Dharma, there's a practical meditation, analytical meditation, and they're complementary. And they, there's a, they, they say, tap sherap ngejung, you know, it's three ways of, of, you know, techniques or aspects to get out of the samsara, you know, the cycle of life and death. You know, one is the top, it would be the, the method, the wisdom, uh, the compassion, the bodhicitta, the empathy, the understanding, you know, humility, patience, all come there with compassion, together with compassion, the inner values, right? That's top, the method, compassion. And then the shut up is wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge. So they're complementary, they go together. And then you need the renunciation. Renunciation is not like, oh, I give up everything, now I'm going to suffer in order not to suffer. Doesn't work like that. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really disciplined. I'm gonna be really hard with myself because I don't want to suffer. But I'm suffering in the process. <laughs> That's not re renouncement, okay? Renouncement is understanding the reality of things. You know that we. So, for example, through the five senses, through the. Th that's how we interpret everything through the five senses, at least for now. <laughs> Um, so we are quite isolated, actually, within ourselves. The only way we can communicate is through the five senses, right? A smile, you know, uh, like a hug, or words, or music, or cooking, or art, whatever you want to, you know, that's the way we communicate. Because inside we are isolated. Even though the ultimate reality is that there is no separation. But right now we're talking about the, the conventional reality, right? So in that aspect, so this, the renunciation is to understand... You know, to, to, to analyze, to question, you know. So if you think about it, if you take away the five senses, reality has no shape, no color, no taste, no smell, no, no tact. Tact? No, tactile. No feeling, no feeling, right? It's, uh, what is it? You know? Think about it, the actual reality. And then what we see as reality is only the interpretation of the interpretation, right? Our brain, for example, we see something and uh, we receive it in our brain upside down. Just an example. This is science, okay? And, uh, and then our brain switches it around again. We are not aware of that process, but it's happening. And that's just one more process that we're not aware of. So already our interpretation is the information that our senses transmit to our brain and then we interpret it through the brain. So already there's different you know, places it has to go through. So already what we are interpreting has nothing to do with the actual original object. The perceiver is perceiving an interpretation of that object, but it's not really understanding the reality of that object. So when you start to analyze that, then you are able to create more renunciation because you don't get so attached, you're not so grasping, you're not so, you know, suffering because you want more or you want less of something. Because that is the conditioning. We create the conditionings throughout our lifetime and even for many past lives by reacting to the sensations that we perceive in three different ways. Attraction, rejection or indifference. And that is the condition. That is in Sanskrit they call it the Shankara. You know, so we are trying to be equanimous to what we perceive in order not to react, in order not to create conditionings. You know, and that's going to make us happier people. Because we'll, we'll be able to relate to the reality in a much more realistic way. You know? So that's what, a little bit what renunciation is talking about.
And I forgot your question. Oh yeah, what did I learn about? Uh, yeah, so the living examples, that was it, yeah. So for me, really what really, what really counts much more than the philosophy itself, which is amazing, when you put it in practice, <laughs> just the concept, it's, it's like a bulb without electricity. For me, what really inspires me is uh, the example, the shining example of His Holiness Dalai Lama, Lama Zubarimujir, my, my, my gurus at least, my teachers. But you see, even then already I'm saying, my... Already I'm creating an attachment. Already I'm creating conditioning, you see? So we really have to be careful with all these aspects, you know. But um, yeah, for me, it's really, it's big inspiration. And my teacher, he was just so compassionate, so considerate, so patient with me when I was a kid. I was so naughty. I was such a rebel, you know, <laughs> really. And he was so patient with me, you know, year after year after year after year. So for me, that really means, that, that's really what inspires me, you know. You know, the example. And there's many people like that, many true practitioners who are so humble, so discreet. You know, and, uh, and it's just amazing. Even I know people who are suffering so much, who have really difficult conditions in their life. They're suffering so much, but when they relate to people, they give the best of themselves. What they share is the best of themselves. Sometimes, like for me, it happens, you know, I have great you know, human rebirth. But then sometimes I'm I'm in my mind, you know, going around, oh, oh, oh. then I meet someone and I share the worst of me, you know. Oh, this and that, da, 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 da. Oh, I have this problem, I have that problem. And then I bring down the person. <laughs> the person feels bad after that, you know. It's like, why? That's so good. Then I feel even worse than before. <laughs> then sometimes it's good, you know, if you have close friends who love you, who understand you, who care for you, it's good to talk about your problems, you know. If they're willing to also listen, you know, so that, because that's for me, Today in society, there's so many people in capitalism like that. There's, there's a lack of empathy, so we do, we do need psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, psychotherapists, uh, uh, psych, uh, analyst, uh, what do you call it, psychoanalysts, and all this. We do need it because the huge population, uh, a lot of, you know, egoism and selfishness and unempathy and all that. But uh, the real psychologists are your friends, people who care for you, who know you. And who will listen to you, you know? That doesn't mean that we're just going to be oh, talking about our problems every day, all the time. And it's good a little bit, but don't overdo it. Because otherwise we go into this cycle of self-pity. And then we're just feeding the low-frequency vibrations more. And we're not really getting out of that. So don't project what you fear. Don't project what you don't want. Because that's what you're going to attract, right? So you want to project what you want. You want to create that reality. So for me, I admire very much those people who are suffering so much, but when they interact with people, they give the best of themselves. That for me is very inspiring. Okay. Maybe we can do a short break? How is that? Would that be good? What time is it? It's almost 12. Okay, we'll still do a PP break, and then we'll do a couple more questions. There's about, what, three, four? We can still go a little bit further than 12, right? Yeah. It's good to have a break, you know, so we just settle down, you know. And I mean, I have to go to the bathroom too, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an excuse. It's an excuse. I'll be sincere. <laughs> so I believe you had a question, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so you talked, of, you've talked a little bit about evolution, I guess, de-evolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just kind of interesting from your, it'd be interesting to hear from your perspective, especially with um, being uh, considered a reincarnation and how you kind of view that and, 
maybe that the way you've you think about that or thought about that or uh, that spectrum. You mean how I relate to the concept? Yeah, how you relate to it, or how you understand it, or do you? And if you look at evolution from a function of uh, across a handful of different lifetimes, how you do you perceive I mean, it? I mean, first of all, we are all reincarnations. Yep. We've been re reborn in the cycle of life and death for for, for forever, basically. Yep. I mean, I don't know if you can actually really measure it, but in the Dharma, they <coughs> relate to all sentient beings as your mother. Yep. All mother sentient beings. That's a very well-known phrase in, in Dharma. And the reason they mention the mother is because the, the love of the mother for the children is unconditional. So because every single because we've been being living and being reborn and dying for so long we have been each other's mother numerous times already so even an ant a bug a mosquito an animal a human whoever it is at one point in time they were your mother and you were their mother that is what dharma is saying all mother sentient beings so by saying that you can relate to that unconditional love for everybody up to there it makes sense right do you, do you follow that? So we are all reincarnations. So basically it's just, you know, we just basically, I don't know. For in my, in my case, in my life, I grew up within that kind of bubble, let's say. So it was like a normal thing for me until I became much older and then I was like, wow, this is weird. But only later, when I actually left the monastery after I was 18 and everything, and I tried to relate, you know, to that concept. And then I was like, wow, that's very strange, you know. But until I didn't leave, it was a normal thing. It was just part of my life. That's who I was. So, yeah, I mean, it's. I think with, in life, the perspective is changing a lot, you know, because we are changing also. So our point of view of life changes also. And the same way we also change body, you know, we, we are, you know, we are here. Earth is like in a school, in a library, and we're here to learn. And there's a process that we have to go through in order to reach that understanding, in order to go to the next process. So it's just a process. I mean, it's not a big deal or reincarnation, you know, everybody's a reincarnation. It's not a big deal. As a matter of fact, Lama Yeshe's past life, he was an, a nun. He was a nun abbess an abbess of a nunnery. That was Lama Yeshe's past life. And Lama Yeshe, for example, he never got his Geshe degree, so he never got his doctor degree. But, um, you know, but so the reincarnation, normally reincarnation, Tulku is based on a high Lama if you're an abbot, or you're, you know, if you're Geshe, big, high, very recognized. So mainly they only recognize me as reincarnation because of Lama Yeshe's disciples because of all the Western disciples he had and the organization that he had founded and built. So based on that, as a reincarnation, it had a little bit of weight, but it's just conceptual. You know, I mean, I wouldn't give so much importance to that, at least in my, in my case. You know. um, but it has been a challenge. It has been a challenge to be able to differentiate who I really am and what people project on me and expect me to be. So that has been a huge challenge, which I'm still working on today and learning about also. So, 
But thank you for that question. It's, it's a good question. Thank you. Okay, more questions or subjects. Thank you. Um, pues, Ocel, estoy bien agradecida que tú nos has venido a ver y visitar aquí en San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Era un sueño por mucho, mucho tiempo que tú vinieras. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying I'm very happy that he's here. I'm very grateful that he finally came to San Francisco because it's been a long lifetime dream that he come. Mm -hmm. um, so, gracias. Um, pues, Siguiendo la conversación, uh -huh. following the conversation that you just had. ¿Cuál, cuál conversación? Con él, sí. ah, el señor vale. aquí. Um, para nosotros, or I'm sorry, for us, you are a very special person. I don't think mm. any of us can help that, that perspective. It's just a projection. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's a projection. Everything is special. Everybody is special. Yeah, of course. Uh, Maybe some projection. are more special than others. <laughs> From our perspective. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, yeah, so we can agree on the perspective. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's so important for us because we also have tremendous respect for Lama Yeshe, uh, Lama Soparimboche, uh, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. <clears throat> you know, for us, they're, uh, yeah, they're crucial. They're so important to our lives and our future lives and past lives and what have you. Right, so, <clears throat> so that's why I think we have such high respect, regard for you. Also, um, yes, I think I feel that it has been a challenge for you, and um, I think I'm very grateful that you've been working with those challenges mm -hmm. and kind of overcoming, because I think you could have just kind of got into yourself and mm -hmm. we'd have no connection with you, but... You know, in the last few years, you've come out, you've been teaching, mm. <clears throat> and I know that you don't want the label of teacher, and I think that's good because it leaves it very open. Again, you don't want the label of guru, and it leaves it very open for us. You're, you say you're our friend. <clears throat> so I think one of the things that I'm kind of struggling with is that um, – The rules for relating to one's guru are very much defined, but I don't think they're so defined to a friend mm -hmm. such as yourself. So I'm trying to figure out, well, how do we relate to, sorry, to you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I think someone asked, well, how could we help you? But the fact is that you're actually helping us. Vice, um, vice versa. Yeah, so, so what, I guess, how do we relate, relate to our friend? Mm -hmm. uh, good question. Um, I was going to say something funny, but then I forgot. <laughs> uh, maybe I wasn't supposed to say it. <laughs> It's a little bit uh, challenging in the sense of breaking projections, you know. Because that's a little bit my job. I'm... Uh, Like, uh, it's difficult to explain. First of all, thank you so much for your words. They're very inspiring, and I'm very happy that I can be of service. Um, yes, I don't feel that I teach because I don't feel I'm qualified to teach. Um... 
And yes, I'm very grateful to Lama Yeshe. He's my best friend. Um, I have difficulty with myself because um, it's a huge challenge, you know. It's a huge challenge and I'm working, I'm working on it. But, um, but I'm happy to share my small understanding of the way that I interpret the teachings of the Buddha. So I'm happy to be here and to be of service. And I really hope I can make a difference. And I still forgot what I was going to say. But uh, anyways, so maybe it's better I don't say it. So. What is your name? I thought you were Tibetan. Do you speak Tibetan? It's happened, yeah. You speak Tibetan? No, Pukki Shiki too. Pukki Shiki. That's what I'm talking about. Tutsi Grimpa Che. Tutsi Grimpa Che. Tutsi Grimpa Che. San Francisco, Gyuri Mudrosen. Uman Changchu Chilling. Or that's Kopan. Tupten Chilling. Tupten Chilling. Tupten Chilling. Tutsi Grimpa Che. Tupte. Tutsi. Tupte. Semba Kibute. Semba Kibute. Semba. Semba. Are you happy? Is your mind happy? Oh, yes. <laughs> also, Shiva. Shiva. Good. And peaceful. Very good. Very important. Uh, and um, I just want to say hello and uh, remind Zina Hakusonge. Zina Roshevsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I remember you from Kopan. Mm-hmm. Remember Zina from Kopan. I mean, Max Matthews, Kopan. Mm-hmm. I'm a Kopan. So that's where we all came together, was at Kopan. Mm-hmm. Kathmandu. Kopan, Kopan. Omen Changchi Chilling. So, um, yeah. Very nice to see you. Mm-hmm. You look well. <laughs> you look healthy. Thank you. I wanted to go back to the question before. Which is? Which is talking about uh, reincarnation and tuku and the concept like that. So, for me there has been a huge separation in my life. It's been like a dualistic kind of concept. Because I've been trying to identify like myself with what people would label on me, right? So, okay, so people say, oh, I'm tuku, I'm this and that, I'm the reincarnation of such an amazing person. And like that. And then my destiny is to teach Buddhism as a monk sitting on a throne. For most of my childhood, that was what I was meant to be doing. So it's been a challenge for me to really kind of say, okay, who am I? You know, am I what they say I am? Or am I what I feel that I am from inside? And what I feel that inside, I'm a person who has a lot of challenges, a lot of conflict, a lot of difficulty. A lot of suffering, you know, I, I, I struggle with depression, I, I struggle with, with emotional, you know, activities of anger and, you know, all these different aspects that happen. And uh, thanks to Dharma, yes, I, am, I try to be aware of it, I try to put it in check, I try to recognize it, I try to apologize, I try to change and move forward and improve, but it's still, it's still happening, it's still there. So I don't see myself as some you know, qualified, realized, or whatever you want to call it, in reincarnation, at all. Okay, maybe when I was younger, I believed it. But when I became realistic, I was like, you know what, this is not who I am. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I'm just a normal human being struggling with life. That's it. I have a different background because I grew up in a monastery and I had to study 16 hours a day, six days a week for 15 years. Well, I didn't start with 16 hours, but they started adding them up. <laughs> I started with maybe eight hours a day when I was six years old. When I was 16, 15, I was already work, uh, studying 16 hours a day, sometimes 18 hours a day. But uh, so that's my background, you know, my language, the culture, the tradition that I come from. But uh, I, I never accepted people to impose their reality on me in that way. You know, I'm not going to fall into a box for you. I'm not going to play your game because I cannot make you happy. I can try to make you happy. But you are the only person responsible to make yourself happy. So I discovered a long time ago that I could try to play people's game. Oh, okay, I'm the reincarnation. I'm going to act like a reincarnation. I'm going to fake. I'm going to fake perfections. <laughs> oh, but nobody will be happy because that's just the nature of the mind. And so I, long time ago, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to strive to try to fall into people's concepts of what I should be or how I should be. You know, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to be who I feel that I'm becoming. Because it's a process, it's change, you know, so I'm always learning new aspects of myself. So anyway, so that's what I decided. I, I decided I'm not going to, you know, play your game. So I'm not going to fall into a box. I'm not going to allow people to label me and project on me and expect me to do what they want <coughs> me to do in that aspect. Like, for example, just an example, okay? One time, you know, like for me, I like to party. I like to go out and sometimes drink some alcohol. You know, my father said always, you know, with moderation, everything is okay. Don't go to the extremes. Then it can be even water can harm you. If you drink too much water, you know, your stomach is going to explode. So anyways, it's not a, it's not a justification. Yeah. I don't really need to justify to anybody. I'm not a monk, you know. I, but uh, I like to enjoy myself, you know. At the same time, I like to learn, you know. I like to have a balance in my life. So anyways, going straight, I don't want to justify. So okay, yeah, I drank alcohol. Not too much, but I did. So anyways, a woman, Asian woman, very traditional woman, somehow smelled my breath the next day because I didn't sleep that night. You know, I was going, I was still, you know, act active uh, within, you know, the community and going to the teachings and this and that, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to do everything, you know, <laughs> so I didn't have time to do everything. So anyways, I'm making myself very vulnerable here. So, you know, just, just, what? Yeah, with yeah. But anyway, so she said, oh, you know, a lama is not supposed to drink alcohol. That's what she said, her words. And I immediately answered back. I said, if you can find one time in my life that I said I am a lama, I'll, I'll do whatever you say. Now, I never said I'm lama. Ever. Maybe when I was a child, I was four years old, I was a tyrant. I was like, I'm lama, you have to do what I say. <laughs> Maybe at that time, yes, okay, but <laughs> since, uh, since I grew up a little bit more, you know, I never said I'm Lama. On the contrary, I said I, I'm not a Lama, you know, I'm just a struggling human being trying to improve as a human. And I'm going to try my best to be able to give the best of me. You know, but you have to understand that, you know, I'm just one more person with difficulties. So anyway, so that's what I tried. I tried to explain to her that, but she wouldn't understand. She said, no, you're a lama, you can't drink alcohol, it's so bad. She, then she didn't talk to me ever again. After that, she hated me. <laughs> she even mm, took me away from Facebook. What do you call it? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, unfriended me. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's funny, but actually I cried for half an hour after that. I, I got on a bus by myself and I left and I was crying for half an hour. It was really sad. But it was, that's part of my life. I have to accept those preconceptions of people being imposed on me. Even though they don't, th that woman knew me for two minutes of my life. But somehow she felt she had the right to impose her perspective on my life and really be aggressive about it. And now I'm, I'm really sensitive, so for me it really affected me. But after I cried, you know, the crying is also therapy, you know, so I cried and then I was like, you know what, that's her point of view, that's her belief, I respect that, you know, maybe it's better that I don't drink alcohol in when there's activities of, you know, dharma activity. <laughs> I mean, I am a rebel, I am a, I've always been a rebel. Yeah, <laughs> thank God, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so anyways, I've always been struggling to try to know, make sense out of this concept of tuku and reincarnation and lama. But uh, anyways, just, just to make sure I will not fall into that box. I made that decision a long time ago. I'll try to, to offer my services, but my way. I am Osel, and that's it. You know, that's who I am. And I'm not going to try to impose anything on anybody. You know, because I respect. You know, I love, I care. I want to see who you are. I don't want to impose my projection on you and be like, you are this, and that's what I'm going to believe. That's what I'm going to see. And if you don't act according to my projection, then you're a bad person. <laughs> you're ungrateful. You know? After everything we did for you, you left the monastery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, okay? I'm really I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just talking from my heart. Okay? No, I mean, I encourage you to get to know me. Not so much the Lama also part, you know, but actually know me as a human. You know, and uh, that's interesting. And I feel that th my job, my mission, kind of like, is, is not so much to teach Dharma on a throne as a monk, representing the institution and the religion like that. It's more about how to branch out, you know, how to, you know, reach people who have no interest in Dharma or in Buddhism or religion, you know, how to reach people who are suffering and offer them something that can help uh, help them to be happier and to improve their life. That's it. I don't have any other agenda apart from that. Uh, starting with improving myself. I mean, if I don't love myself, if I don't work on myself, how am I going to help anybody? It's ridiculous, right? So, anyways, yeah, I hope that asked, answered your question. Um, so it, yeah, it took me a while, and uh, when I got out of the depression, then I was able to look backwards and say, okay, it's been very difficult, but but the, everything has a solution, you know. As long as you have that, you try to just you know hope, you know, hope is a very important factor in our life. Faith, hope, love, you know, gratitude. Gratitude is the base of a happy life, the cornerstone. You know, but because Always ha come back, come back to that aspect of you, to that inner child, to that unconditional love, to that true self, you know, that nature of the mind. So answering your question, at the beginning, Dharma, Buddhism, philosophy, of the, well, the teachings of the Buddha, they really helped me. What I studied in, in the monastery has been helping me throughout my life. And sincerely, I would not know wh how, what I, how I would have ended up if I didn't have that. You know, after I left the monastery, because I was like, I completely dived head in first into samsara. 
You know, so if I hadn't had that information, I probably would have, you know, gotten sucked into it completely. I I have been I'm 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 completely sucking into it, but at least I have a little bit of perspective of you know like how to poke my nose and breathe a little bit and then dive back in again. You know? <laughs> but but at least I have that kind of perspective. I'm really trying to get out, but uh, sometimes I'm like you know I like samsara. <laughs> Why am I trying to get out of it? No, I'm joking. Don't 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 think, don't think like that. Don't think like that. But I do have that thought sometimes, you know. <laughs> but the reality of samsara is that we suffer a lot, you know. So. So we have to work on ourselves in order to be able to help others also. Because there's many people that suffer much more than us. And even then they give the best of themselves to others. They share only the best of themselves. So it's amazing inspiration. Okay, the third, third question. Yeah. Hi, um, I have a question. So... Uh, in Buddhism, there's a concept of a teacher and student disciple, but there's also the concepts of the uh, virtuous friend, the uh, Kalana Mitra. So, is the, your concept of friend related to this concept of the virtuous friend? Okay, so, so your teacher is your virtuous friend also, right? Your guru. But the difference between a guru and a just a normal friend is that the guru also represents other aspects. Okay, so the guru is the living embodiment of what you want to achieve. Your friends sometimes, you know, I mean, it's difficult to have that concept. We're all striving, we're all on the same boat. But uh, at least a guru is a living example. For me, you know, a Buddha, you know, to express it in a simple way would be the perfect, the most advanced version of a human. The best version of a human being would be a Buddha. At least for my in a more easygoing, like down-to-earth kind of conventional way to see it. So your guru, you visualize as a Buddha, so you see him as the best version of a human. So you, that's what you're striving to reach. You're trying to get to that kind of aspect. right? So that is a shining example, the guru. And then, of course, they're your friend because they, they're helping you to see that aspect of yourself, that potential within you, that beauty, that it's the... the it's like we have charcoal and then there's a, there's a potential diamond inside. And, but we have to polish it. We have to be able to find it. Get, the diamond is already there. We just have to recognize it and polish it, basically. And uh, the Guru, so we receive the blessings from the Guru. We receive the inspiration from the Guru. We take refuge in the Guru. And we learn from his example. And he's the one who guides us. So he's like the light that helps us walk our path. And a friend, you can also say all of that for a friend, but it's a different kind of perspective, you know. It's a little bit different, but it's similar. So in Indian, in an Indian kind of phrase, you would say, same, same, but different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> same, same, but different, okay? <laughs> all right? <laughs> I hope that answers your question.